The scripture reading this morning will be taken from Psalm 90, if you want to turn over there. Psalm 90. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is seventy years or eighty, if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Well, good morning. It's good to see you out this morning on a beautiful day. I hope that the snow and the ice, I hope all of that is about over with. Glad that you're here to worship today. If you're visiting here at Savannah this morning, uh, from one visitor to another, you are in a good place. You're with a great church family, and I hope you will stick around long enough to get some know, to know people and to be here at every opportunity that you have. Uh, the Savannah congregation is a great place to get involved and to serve God, and so we're glad that you're here uh, today. My fascination... And my fandom of NASCAR goes back some 25 years. And while I don't follow the sport maybe as closely today as I did years ago, the thing, or one of the things that got me so interested in watching racing is how close everything is to being right on the edge of out of control. I mean, you're running a car so close to being out of control that our car's in the parking lot. We could go out there and we could let 10 pounds of air pressure out any tire. We probably wouldn't even notice it. But in a race like that, you adjust your tire pressures by one pound. And it might make the difference in whether or not you win the race or whether you're just mediocre that day. And then the engines on the screen that you, you see there, uh, these teams are going to go, they're going to spend as much on an engine. You, you could go buy a nice house to live in for what they're going to spend on that engine. And then all they're going to ask out of that engine is that to give them about 600 miles, if it can get them through the weekend, if it can get them through one race, and they're going to run that engine so hard and so close to the edge of out of control that as soon as that race is over, they're going to tear that engine down, they're going to break it totally apart, and it's, it's going to be totally rebuilt. One engine, one race, and if it'll give them that, it's done its job. And so that's a little bit about NASCAR, and for the fans, I went ahead and put the number on the screen because people will ask if I don't. When you get back out to your car today, you're going to notice a gauge there in the instrument cluster that for our driving around day to day, it's pretty useless. It's kind of there to fill space. It's called the tachometer. And what it does is it measures the number of RPMs that are on the engine. And, and again, for driving around town, that's pretty useless. But one thing you'll notice 
is that over to the right, there's always an area that's in red. The, the red zone, the, the don't kill your engine zone. In other words, when you're driving, you don't want to see your tachometer in that range because if it is, you hope it just goes there briefly and then it goes back because if you run your engine there in the red zone for very long, the engine isn't going to last. And we're not trying to get our engines through one weekend. We've got to make that car last for years. And so that is racing and that's a little bit about engines and all those sorts of things. And if I kind of lost you there, you can come on back now because I use that to get us to the, to the big life question that I want us to think for a few minutes about this morning as we study. When you think about your life, is the pace of your life ever similar to one of these race cars or maybe to one of the engines in one of these race cars? The idea that the pace of your life, is it ever pushed to the limit? Is it ever right on the edge of out of control? Is your life ever so full that there isn't seemingly time to add one more thing? In other words, is your life one of those that is maybe without margin, without breathing room? In other words, is your life sometimes redlining? And I'm not talking about... Now, we all have those days where we're, or, or, you know, we're briefly very busy and things spike up and then things kind of pull back. I'm talking about the kind of life where it's this way seemingly all the time. I listen to a lot of different folks preach and I listen to a lot of different folks teach. And in recent days, I've heard this discussed... And one of the problems, as multiple people talk about this issue, it resonated with me. Now, does that mean I've got a red line problem in my life? It may very well mean that. But as I thought about it, I considered if it resonates with me, it may resonate with you also. And so I want to spend a few minutes. Now, as we get into this, I want to talk about a term. I want to talk about the term uh, margin. Let me see here. Are we There we go. The definition I want you to think about is the space between my current load and my limit. And there's some other definitions that you could add. You could think in terms of excess capacity, uh, the, the amount uh, allowed beyond that which is needed, something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated things. Uh, one person defined margin as the gap between rest and exhaustion. Margin is the opposite of overload. But again, for the sake of our discussion this morning, I want you to think in terms of the difference between my load and my limit. And as we start thinking about this, and as we move toward Psalm 90, and that's where we're going, and keep that open, we're eventually going to get there. But the problem with lost margin, as we fill our lives up and as we overcommit them, one of the things that happens to us is we don't normally think about the fact that our margin is gone until it is gone. And by then there's nothing left. Think about these warning signs. You know, if these are my conversations, it may well mean that, that, that I've got an issue with lost margin. Think about time. If your phone conversations typically go something like this, okay... Yes, I'm going to be there, but I'm going to be about 15 minutes late. Or, uh, yes, I'll be there, but I'm going to have to leave a little early. Or, um, now, honey, I'm going to be there for your recital, and I know you don't go first, and I'll probably miss the first few, but I'll be there by the time you perform, and I may have to slide out early, but I'm going to see your part of the performance today. Or, or maybe it's like...
So now, Johnny, tonight I'm going to take you to your baseball game. And I don't know how this happened, but Mama's going to have to take Susie to her soccer game. I don't know how they're on the same night. I don't know how they're at the same time. But, but that's just where we are. Or maybe you identify with this. I'm at work. I'm in the office. But I can't really concentrate on my work because uh, there are so many things at home that really need my attention that uh, I'm at work, but I really need to be at home. Or I'm at home, and I ought to be enjoying my time there, and I ought to be enjoying my family, but I really can't be fully engaged at home because I realize there are so many things at the office that really need my attention. Or maybe it's money. We're okay this month. As long as nothing breaks, as long as nothing goes wrong, as long as the pipes don't freeze up, whatever it may be, it's life with no margin financially. No room for error. And see, that's why the Dave Ramseys of the world are out there preaching the idea of having an emergency fund, because it's not a matter of if something's going to go wrong, it's a matter of when something's going to go wrong. And so the idea is, hopefully I've got a little bit of margin in the way I live my life financially. And see, when we think about our time and we think about our money, the question finally becomes, why? Why is it that I lose control of the time that I'm blessed to have at my disposal? And why do I allow my physical resources to be spread so thin? Why do we lose control of these things? Leadership expert Michael Hyatt attributes some of these things to what we would... um, several different kind of fears. And uh, one of the fears that he talks about I've actually got two on the screen already. One of the fears that he talks about is the fear of, of, disappoint, or of mis, missed opportunities. I'm sorry. Someone places an opportunity in front of me. And so I go into a mode of fearing, okay, what am I going to miss out on? What money might I miss out on making? What opportunity to advance my career? Uh, If I'm not fully, or if I'm not perceived as fully engaged at work and they put an opportunity in front of me, they may overlook me for that promotion. And so there's the fear of the missed opportunity coupled with maybe a fear of not having enough. And so I will overcommit my life. The second one there is the fear of disappointing others. If we're parents, we want to be good parents. And we want to be good spouses. We want to be good husbands. We want to be good wives. We want to be good leaders at work. Sometimes we're in a position at work where the livelihood of other families may well depend on decisions that we are making on a daily basis. And so we want to be good leaders. We don't want to disappoint people who are important to us. And so sometimes we'll take on things they don't really fit our our schedule, they don't really fit our, our, our financial budget, they may even compromise our standard of morality in some way, but we'll take things on because we don't want to let somebody down. The third fear is the fear of being left out. If they all go and I don't go with them, I'm going to be out of the loop. If, if they all go and I don't go, I'll miss out on what the current gossip is. Not that we'd ever do that. You know, or if I say no to them this time, they may never invite me to go with them again. It's the fear of being left out. If they all get one, whatever it is, and I don't get mine, I'm going to be behind. And then finally, number four, the fear of being judged. If I don't do this, what are they going to think? 
If I don't buy that, what are they going to say? If I don't let my kids participate in that, what are they going to say about me? And what are they going to say about my family? You know, what are they going to say about what I wear? And what are they going to say about where I live? And what are they going to say about what I drive? And, and see, the question becomes, who are they anyway? And why do we allow they, whoever they may be, to have so much impact on the way we choose to prioritize our lives. Because here's the problem. When I get caught up with all these kinds of fears, I may well neglect and ignore having a proper and healthy fear of God Almighty. You see, there are things that are going to suffer. Sometimes when I'm overcommitting my life, I may try to create margin, I may try to create space, I may try to create breathing room with fixes that actually hinder me rather than helping me. Think about it this way. In the extreme, a broke guy, maybe he's addicted to something, he's not going to go rob the Minute Mart because he really wants to break the law. He's going to go rob the Minute Mart to create some financial margin in his life. And, and we say as Christians, well, we'd never go break the law of the land. We just wouldn't do that. But, but sometimes maybe we make unwise choices in our attempts to create breathing room. Think about families. I overcommit my life and my family relationships may suffer. I drift away from my spouse. It's not because love no longer exists. It's just that you know, my time is being consumed by everyone else. Or my kids don't get enough of my time because others are getting it. Or you know, sometimes a person decides that to create margin, to create breathing room, I'm going to end the marriage. And when that happens, lots of people lose. And the sad irony with family relationships is often the reason we overcommitted our lives in the first place is because we were trying to do better for our families. My physical health may suffer. And we talked a little bit about that last Sunday night. We won't belabor it now. I may end up being low on energy. I may be in pain. No desire for recreation or the recreation of my mind and body. So I need exercise. I need those things that recreate me. But because I'm so busy, I won't take time and allow time to the things that will help the temple here be more healthy. And then obviously spiritual health. Bible study. My life's so busy, I just don't have time for it. There, there's not enough of an immediate return on my investment to get into the Bible and so I push back and, and I don't spend time in the Word of God. And then my church involvement, you know, I know there's some folks they get together and they help people and they visit and they do these things and, you know, that's all fine and good for folks that are sitting at home with nothing to do, but, but I just can't justify putting that into my schedule. And even church attendance comes into play. Shepherds everywhere scratch their heads struggling with the idea of how do we get members of the congregation, we're here on Sunday morning, but how do we get folks interested in other times to be together and other Bible study opportunities? How do we do that? And sometimes I believe there's not a perceived need. I've been there and I've done that today and I just don't need any more. And that's another lesson for another day. But in many cases I fully believe one of the reasons that we don't come back is we're so busy. 
And we realize as parents that, hey, if I'm going to round my kids up and I'm going to clean them up and we're going to get everybody back together and into the car and over to church and do that again tonight, if we just don't do that today, we've just added three hours back to the calendar. And I want that three hours. And so in the end, we end up adding margin by cutting things out that were actually designed to bless us spiritually. And as life spins ever faster and ever closer to out of control, we desperately need to slow down. We need to get the pace of life to the best degree possible back out of that dangerous red zone. I believe it was Ferris Bueller who once said, life moves pretty fast. And if you don't slow down and look around once in a while, you could well miss it. Psalm 90, which has already been read, it's attributed to Moses. Unusual to find a psalm attributed to Moses, but you think about the life of Moses. He's lived this life where 40 years he wants for nothing. He's got 40 years where he is a shepherd and and probably has some very slow days, but then Moses had 40 years in trying to lead a group of people, probably some of the most stressful 40 years anyone has ever lived. And so then from Moses we get this psalm. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses says, we, Lord, we, we recognize you as God. We recognize you as Lord. We, we claim you. You are our refuge. You are our dwelling place. And the implication, the idea is, if He is Lord and He is where I dwell, then it might make sense if somehow, some way, I could begin to look at life and I could begin to look at time more from His perspective rather than mine. Continuing on, verse 3. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You've swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they're like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. Do you see what the psalmist Moses there is saying about the way God looks at time? He essentially says, ten of our lifetimes, if we live a hundred years apiece, ten of our lifetimes are nothing more than a watch in the night as God looks at time. And see, when I think about how overcommitted my life often is, and I think about the hectic pace of my life, what I realize about my life is so often I've, I'm all overcommitted, and it's all about this hundred years or so that God says is not even a watch in the night. Continuing on, verse 7, For we've been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we've been dismayed. You've placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. I don't like those verses. You know, why would God be angry? Well, well, God might get angry because God might just look at my life and He might look at my choices and He might look at my decisions and nothing is hidden from Him. That's why I don't like those verses. We can't hide it from God. God looks at the way I use my time. And he knows. 
Then he says in verse 9, For all of our days have declined in your fury. We've finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70, or if in due strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. In the end, what is the highlight of our time here? The psalmist says it may be 70 years, it may be 80 years. We may be blessed to live 100 years, but, but, but there's labor and there's sorrow and then when it's all said and done, we fly away. He paints a bit of a bleak picture. And it's not the idea that we ought to mourn life here, but, but it is this idea that we ought to realize that no matter how many years we're given, the time here is really not what it's all about. Verse 11 is a bit of a tough verse and the scholars, they're, they're all around the block on it. But verse 11 says, Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? One scholar said this, he said, If we could begin to see life... We're limited, we're human, and we're limited, but if we somehow could begin to see life better from God's perspective, it might really change the way that we live. And then that gets us to verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us how short our days and our time really is. Teach us, God, to understand that that when you give us time, our days are not unlimited. They're actually in short supply. You remember, those of us that are a little older, you remember being young when there were certain things that could not arrive quickly enough. Somebody's thinking right now, the end of this sermon, I'm ready for that to arrive. Well, we're going to get there. But, But when we were young, Christmas was one. If Christmas could get, just get here, and I remember December 1st would arrive, and, and we'd, put, we'd make the calendar, and it'd have all the days, and we'd put a Hershey's kiss on each day, and then on December 1st, you'd take off one piece of candy, and you're a day closer, and finally Christmas would arrive. And then I remember being 15, and I'm living in Kentucky, and you didn't get to drive legally, even with a permit, until you turned 16. I don't know what's wrong with them up there in that state, but that's how it was. And so my thought is, if I can ever turn 16, and if I can ever have the freedom to be able to drive a car legally, my life will be immeasurably better. And of course, then it's getting out of school, and then it's marriage, and then it's kids, and and all these things happen. And then finally one day, if it hasn't happened yet, it will, you, you wake up and you realize, or you think, man, I wish this could all just slow down a little bit, or maybe a lot. Birthdays and Christmas, it seems like they happen every other day. Seems like you just get it all put away in the attic and somebody's saying, hey, you got to get in the attic and get all that out again. And up we go. Kids are suddenly in college and they may live in our houses, but they're not around much anymore. And then I go to the mirror and I look in the mirror and I realize that I'm what I, what I used to think of as being an old guy. That's me now and I don't feel old, but I'm getting there. See, our lives are brief, especially in light of everything that Moses reminds us of about the way God looks at time. And since our days are not unlimited, we shouldn't treat them like they are. And understanding the brevity of life, that ought to be the reason for me to be very uh, intentional in prioritizing my life and being careful with my time and, and what I allocate See, numbering my days and presenting that heart of wisdom 
It's not about simply planning my life about around the 70, 80, 90, 100 years that I'm spending here. It's about conducting my life down here in such a way that I'm ready for forever up there. It's the idea, instead of fearing what opportunities that I might miss here, my main concern is that I do not miss on the opportunity that, that we celebrated a few minutes ago. Jesus made possible by going to the cross, by winning the victory there. He makes a great opportunity possible for all of us. It's the idea, instead of fearing who I might disappoint here, my main concern as I live life here is that I don't disappoint a Savior who has had made this heavy investment in me. And it's the idea that instead of being concerned about they, whoever they may be, now I want they to go to heaven, but instead of being so concerned about what they think, my main concern is about living life in front of a God who sees everything. It's the idea that instead of being so concerned about being judged by they, my main concern is about pleasing the one who will judge me on the final day. See, forever thinking, it, allow, it will allow me to create margin in my calendar. It, it'll allow me to live my life at a pace where everything I do can bring glory to God. Forever thinking will allow me to create margin in my life financially where God's part always comes first. And see, that heart of wisdom that I desperately want to present to God, it'll be the one that I learn to value every moment and be in every moment. Have you ever noticed one of the things as you scroll social media, we're really, really always excited about what's next. Have you noticed that? We're, we're always talking about what's coming up and what's the next thing we're going to do. Psalm 118 verse 24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not about you, but sometimes I forget about rejoicing in today. Whether it's a work day, whether it's a play day, whether it's a sick day, whether it's a snow day, whether it's a church day, because it is today, I need to rejoice and be fully present in right now. Time is a blessing from God. And there's a great responsibility in deciding how we'll use our time. Ephesians 5 that we noticed Sunday night, beginning in verse 15, says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Very briefly, I want to leave you with some things that maybe can help us. If I realize that my life is redlining, if the pace of my life isn't what it needs to be, if I need to get the pace of my life under better control, some steps that will help us begin a process, a process toward doing better. Number one, I need to declare that the current load is unsustainable. We talked about this before, but there's value in saying the truth out loud. I need to be real with myself. I don't need to kid myself. If I've overloaded my life, I need to be able to admit to myself, yes, I've got a problem, and yes, it's got to be corrected. Scripture constantly calls us to the idea of self-examination. Matthew 7, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 13. Self-examine is always in the Bible. And even though we know that, sometimes it's hard to come to grips with who we are and where we are. Author Crystal Payne was being interviewed. And she was talking about this very thing. And she said she was having more children, her career was growing, and, and as these things were happening, she was, losing her, she was losing control of her calendar. 
And she said, I finally looked at my calendar one month and I realized very quickly there was no physical way to get everything done. She said, I was at a point of being in despair. I was sick with fever about every three weeks. And she said, I finally went to my husband and she said, listen, she said, I'm completely overwhelmed. She said, I'm exhausted, I'm burned out and I do not know what to do. And she said, I expected my husband to kind of pat me on the back and to kind of tell me it'd be all right. Tell me he'd help me out a little bit. But her husband didn't do that. She had a brave husband. Because she said, my husband, she, he looked at me, he looked at me straight in my eyes, and he said, honey, you realize you're bringing all of this on yourself. Now that is a brave husband. And that is a jump back statement. You say it, and then you jump back about three feet because she may swing, you know, and you don't want her to connect. And she said, it did me. It made me angry. She said, that's not what I wanted to hear. That's not what I expected to hear. But she said, when I got past my anger, I realized that he was exactly right. I realized that I was the problem, but I also realized that if I was going to be the solution. And that brings us to the second thing. I need to acknowledge that the real problem is me. We call that taking responsibility. Sometimes we like to blame and if I've overloaded my life, I can't blame my job, I can't blame my family, I can't blame my friends, I can't blame my church. Hopefully I'm not trying to blame God. That's important because if I'm blaming others, I'm probably sitting back waiting for others to change. I can't force change on other people. And so I've got to take responsibility. And if I intend to number my days God's way and present that heart of wisdom to Him, I've got to come to grips with the truth that pressure may be applied from my job and from my family and from this and from that. Pressure may come from various directions, but it's on me if I put too much on my calendar and it's on me if I overload my life financially. If I'm overloaded, it's on me. Number three, I need to develop an abundance mindset. That's the opposite of scarcity thinking. That's the opposite of, hey, there may not be enough. Somebody smarter than me said this, and I believe it's very true. This person said abundance is something we recognize rather than something we achieve. Honestly, what has God not provided? Because I would dare say for probably every one of us in this room, God has provided us with everything we need to be what He wants us to be and to do what He wants us to do. And that ought to result in a major exhale. That ought to bring that tachometer way out of the red zone, knowing that God has provided. Finally, number four, always remember that gratitude is the antidote for fear. Sorry, I got behind. Gratitude, being thankful, it's the antidote to scarcity thinking. The idea that there may not be enough, I've got to be thankful. If I want to minimize those nagging fears that sometimes haunt me, that cause me to overload, the answer is to be very intentional in thanking God as He blesses me. Because it is hard to do gratitude and fear at the same time. In fact, gratitude will actually allow us to do fear in a more godly way. Now, it's a different word. I get that. But you remember Hebrews chapter 12, long about verse 28, where the Bible says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Some translations there say with reverence and fear. Teach us how short our lives really are. 
so that we may be wise. My question to you today is, does this verse, is that the goal of your life today? Understanding that when God looks at our time here, it is oh so brief in in terms of eternity. Have you considered the brevity of life? And if so, are you living life like you realize that your days here aren't in unlimited supply? Are you a Christian today? Have you been baptized into Christ? If you're not a Christian, we're ready to assist you with that. If the pace of your life is out of control, do you need to begin pacing it in a way that better brings glory to God? If so, I hope you'll begin that process and that journey. And if you need your church family praying with you and for you as you begin that journey, that's one of the things that we're here for today as family. We're here to help each other. If you have a need today, shepherds will be here to meet you. Please respond. Let that be known while Bradley leads us in the song that he selected. As the name.